section nine of notes of an east coast naturalist by arthur henry patterson this librivox recording is in the public domain bird notes part nine the curlew in august large female curlews occasionally with long bills frequent braden sometimes the flocks are of a considerable size i am of the opinion that a few non-breeding birds remain in the vicinity all summer betaking themselves to the marshes and even farther afield for short periods returning at intervals to their favourite ooze nearid worms mollusca shrimps small crabs and tiny flounders are its usual prey a tame curlew became exceedingly partial to small dead mice soaked and knocked about until considered fit for swallowing a curlew was set upon by a small hawk the wader squatted upon the mud presenting its bill to its tormentor a process that had the effect of either wearing out the latter's patience or of intimidating it it's left the curlew at length to its own devices and went in search of something more easily conquered curlews when on feed snatch at every little passing flounder small ones they bolt in an instant but any too large for swallowing are knocked shaken and twisted about and prodigious efforts are made to bolt them till at length finding all their efforts vain they appear regretfully to throw them down what most amuses me is the way a disappointed bird immediately after trots along as fast as his legs can carry him to seek for some more manageable item as if there were lost time to be made up a watcher's notebook for several years past a watcher has been stationed on Braden during the close season for wild birds. Moored in the centre of that estuary is his houseboat, from which it is his duty to keep a sharp eye upon all persons likely to break the law by shooting or attempting to shoot the various waders using Braden mudflats the first man employed was a big old fellow known as ducker chambers whether true or not it is rumoured of him that when a rare bird was known to be using braden it was not a difficult task for an interested party to decoy him into some favourite resort whilst another would slip into a punt and either secure or attempt to shoot the coveted prize it may or it may not be that more than one spoonbill vanished not by proceeding on its migration but in a way not intended by the act old chambers kept a rough sort of diary and from day to day or when the humour seized him it was his custom to jot down in rough numbers the birds that came into his view from time to time it goes without saying that in so large an area he did not see all that came 
i append a few entries which may be interesting for purposes of comparison eighteen eighty eight april thirteenth white-winged tern may the twentieth three spoonbills june the third six spoonbills june the eighth two spoonbills june the twelfth one spoonbill june the twenty-first three spoonbills july the eighteenth one spoonbill various small waders eighteen eighty nine march the tenth two hundred widgeon march the eleventh four shelled ducks march the thirteenth seventeen pintailed ducks march the fifteenth four hundred widgeon eighteen mallard and some teal march the sixteenth two thousand widgeon march the twenty second two hundred widgeon twelve mallard etc march the twenty fourth two hundred widgeon few golden eyes and shovelers march the twenty eighth one hundred widgeon march the thirty first four shelled ducks april the twelfth three goosanders may the twelfth godwits wimbrell etc may the nineteenth one spoonbill june the eleventh one spoonbill june the eighteenth two goosanders june the twenty-fifth four shelled ducks july the fourth one spoonbill eighteen ninety march the second over two hundred widgeon march the fifth sixty-five shovelers march the sixth eleven geese march the ninth three hundred widgeon two golden eyes ring plovers and dunlins march the fourteenth sixty godwits wimbrel and plovers may the twenty-fourth several greenshanks and redshanks may the twenty-fifth six cormorants four black terns many small birds june the fourth four shelled ducks june the thirteenth three burnicle geese june the twenty-fourth numerous redshanks eighteen ninety one march the second forty widgeon thirty geese march the seventh twenty widgeon three shelled ducks march the eighth twelve swans march the fifteenth seventy geese march the seventeenth six shelled ducks march the nineteenth two swans march the twenty-second two gooseanders many small birds march the twenty-fourth four gooseanders april six five hundred widgeon pintails and teal april the twelfth four golden eyes april fifteenth two swans may the twelfth two hundred godwits numerous wimbrel may the twenty-ninth four swans june the fourteenth two spoonbills june the fifteenth three avocets july the fourteenth 
nine shelled ducks july the seventeenth six young mallard july the eighteenth five shelled ducks eighteen ninety two march the sixth thirty widgeon five geese may the second eagle white-tailed may the eighth two goose-anders may the tenth four black terns may the twelfth five shelled ducks wimbrell may the sixteenth two hundred godwits numerous turnstones and wimbrell may the nineteenth seventeen cormorants two shelled ducks the entries in succeeding years are fragmentary but much on a par with the preceding chambers seemed to tire of the literary part of his duties and very often omitted weeks of arrivals altogether five years ago a younger man succeeded him on his retirement into the fishermen's almshouses jarry the new man was not to be played with and by exercising much greater vigilance kept would-be shooters entirely in the background it is rare indeed save from a passing yacht containing a smuggled rifle and a holidaying fool to hear a shot from the first of march to the end of the close season a few entries from jarry's book would be as interesting as those of his predecessor but the examples given are sufficient to convey a fairly good idea of the birds that visit us on their northward journey i must however state that since stricter preservation has obtained not nearly so many birds are to be seen on Braden, but other causes than preservation must be blamed for this falling off although the fact gives rise to no small cynicism and sarcasm amongst those who feel aggrieved at not being allowed to shoot the few that even to-day put in an appearance young cuckoos in this locality the meadow pipit in my experience is the most favoured foster parent of the young cuckoo in almost every instance where i have met with a fledgling it has been in the lowly built nest of this species the young cuckoo grows very rapidly and seems to be not only an exceedingly hungry quarrelsome creature but very easy to rear on one occasion i obtained one from under a gravestone out of a pipit's nest and brought it up to full feather simply on a diet of bullock's lights in a cabbage garden the caterpillar of the garden white butterfly was committing woeful havoc and the owner despaired of cutting any fit for cooking in the midst of his grumbling a young cuckoo of the year appeared and commenced to wage war upon the insect pests by devouring them day after day the cuckoo was welcomed and in a very short time had cleared the patch and saved the situation on the margin of an old book i found pencilled the following i have found in my lifetime 
five young cuckoos in their nests four being those of the pied wagtail and the other a hedge sparrows in one of the nests which was in a saw pit were four young wagtails and the cuckoo one day on going to look at them i found two of the wagtails upon the ground directly under the nest thinking they might be put out by the cuckoo i watched them rather narrowly and the next day i saw the cuckoo wriggle himself until he got one of the remaining wagtails on his back when he raised himself and shot the wagtail out of the nest on the following day i found the other wagtail on the ground no doubt got rid of by the cuckoo in the same way to make room for himself the same hand had also pencilled as follows i do not see that mr hoy's finding of two eggs in one nest proves that the cuckoo lays more than one egg as in all probability the eggs were deposited by different birds but still i do not see that the cuckoo should be restricted to the laying of one egg only some sneaking sort of belief still obtains among certain ignorant folk with regard to the ill luck attending the appearance of cuckoos a young cuckoo flew over the house of an old lady in the town while i stood speaking to her at the door when i pointed out the retreating bird to her she begged of me to say it was not a cuckoo anything but that for it was the unluckiest thing in the world should one fly over one's roof some still affect to believe that to see three cuckoos in succession portends a death in the observer's family circle the storm petrel the storm petrel does not visit us so frequently now as in the days when herrings were landed on the beach see fisherman sportsman now and again a severe gale or a succession of boisterous storms from the northward bring some into the neighbourhood when the keen observer may detect the small dark birds tripping along just beyond the breakers and now and again meet with one blown inland weary and exhausted in the october of nineteen o one i observed a group of fishermen on the fish wharf surrounding one of their fellows who had in his hands a small paper pastry bag from which a poor little petrel was looking out in some surprise i purchased it and took it home where it soon learned to peck at soft herring milts hung within its reach it would run up and down its new domicile with wings vertically raised uttering a peepy cry very like that of a newly hatched turkey chick it's lived but a few days having never recovered the rough treatment it received from the north sea gale and the equally rough attentions of its not unkindly disposed captor mr booth in his catalogue of birds says i have often noticed these poor little birds terribly distressed by the buffetings they receive during a protracted gale at times hovering and settling among the breakers 
and occasionally being carried before some blinding squall almost helpless inland after a storm of several days duration in november eighteen seventy two i observed scores of these birds resting on the water off the coast of norfolk apparently worn out with their heads buried in their feathers on visiting one of the lightships i learned that several of the stormy as well as a single specimen of the fork-tailed petrel had come on board while the gale was at its height it was about this time that a local sportsman tramping the beach in quest of fowl saw a number of petrels at the harbour mouth he had only big shot with him but succeeded in killing nine birds he took snapshots at them as they neared the crest of a wave and before they fell back into the trough of the sea having disposed of four brace at four shillings a couple he took the last bird to a game dealer i suppose you've hawked round said the dealer as many as you could sell and brought this one to me what matters that to you asked the gunner i only ask if you'll buy it i want two shillings for it the dealer gave him three-fourths of that amount when to his just annoyance the man saucily told him he had sold eight already to persons from whom the dealer had actually received orders to obtain specimens for them locality in birds i have already shown in the case of the grey wagtail how that species persists in returning even when repeatedly disturbed to certain chosen localities i have noticed this propensity for locality by preference in several birds the redshanks bred on the waveney and bure marshes in august invariably frequent a flat near the lockgate farm two miles from the vauxhall station on the north walls of Braden. this is quite in front of the rond cutting in which my houseboat has been moored for several years as soon as the water falls the birds come back to the flat determinedly feeding there until the returning flood once more washes them off it a large rond a few hundred yards from my location is used at high water by curlews who retire to its sheltering grasses to preen their plumage and sleep until the falling tide allows them again a footing on the mud-flats the saddleback gulls prefer the five-state drain lumps for a sleeping resort there stands a tall tree or two on the west side of st nicholas church there at the closing of the day at certain periods of the year gather together for a noisy concert hundreds of sparrows before scattering to their several sleeping places the hoopoe has this peculiar habit of returning to a favourite spot even after being disturbed an old gunner named sampson who when a young man was keenly alert to the ways and manners of birds 
notice this habit or weakness and on putting up a hoopoe from a furzy corner hid near the spot and awaited its return with fatal result to the poor bird it is usually exceedingly wary and shy and but for his hiding no doubt that example would have fought shy of him sampson killed four in his day and made about four shillings a piece off them the highest figure i have known given was three guineas for two stuffed specimens in the horsey sale in the first half of the nineteenth century the allotment marshes were a favourite resort of many wildfowl various ducks came over from sea at nightfall to feed on the large pools and lagoons that formed in rainy spells when the windmills were unable to cope with the downfall the place was full of molluscous life numerous gunners frequented that locality one old man whom i knew at that time supported his family with his gun to this day although the fact does not seem generally known small parcels of fowl in the autumn and early winter drop in to feed in the ditches at night and depart by daylight i have stood in certain well-defined leads and seen and heard the birds pass over in the dim light of eventide or early morning acting on the defensive birds are seldom aggressive they do not often attack other species when in a state of liberty and seldom seriously quarrel amongst themselves a starling will sometimes dispute possession of a place on a dunghill when worms or the larvae of flies are abundant but anything like a serious scuffle is out of the question even when pretending to box as they will do sometimes even springing up from the ground in noisy dispute when a gull has seized upon a titbit found floating upon the water it sometimes happens that a parcel of his fellows will come noisily protesting against his keeping it and occasionally one or more will give chase in this case his idea seems to be to get away with it and a long circling zigzag fly-round ensues in which the pursuers in most cases give in first but when a bird is wounded and his human enemy seeks to lay hold of him something like a fight for life and liberty takes place i have seen a wounded heron fight most savagely darting lightning-like thrusts with his dangerous bill at man and dog wounded or handled gulls will seize fingers with such petulancy and promptness that one must admit that these creatures know they have not only the power of inflicting pain but where to inflict it distinguishing easily enough it would seem where to and where not to grip and nip the larger gulls can make a nasty cut on one's hand 
the shag draws blood easily by seizing one's digits and nipping with the sharp curved point of its upper mandible crows dig at you as do divers and greaves i had an unpleasant experience on one occasion when trying to capture a broken-winged short-eared owl its needle-like claws drilled several bleeding punches an old gunner named samson had shot a short-eared owl winging it he essayed to pick it up but the poor defiant thing ruffling and staring flung itself upon its back seizing the fingers of one hand in its claws when the gunner tried to free himself with the other hand the owl seized the fingers of that also holding him absolutely a prisoner do what he would he could not get clear of it and was obliged at length to kneel upon his victim and as he said let out its wind it gradually relaxed its hold as the life went out of it and finally samson got free he told me his fingers bled freely and were very sore and furthermore that he was always very careful after that of handling woodcock owls in 1901 a young pair of swifts discovered a hole under the tiles of a comparatively new house near my own i believe they successfully reared young ones returning in the spring of 1902 the couple made for their old habitation but found a pair of saucy defiant sparrows in possession attempting in ignorance to enter the male bird found one of the new lodgers at home and he immediately came out with the sparrow fastened on to his neck together they fell scuffling and squealing to the ground a friendly next-door neighbour seeing the state of things put the sparrow to flight whilst the astonished swift after one or two awkward attempts got again upon the wing the rescuer settled matters in favour of the swifts by destroying the sparrows with a catapult the swifts remained for that season but for some unknown reason death perhaps did not return to the house in the following spring the avocet the most exquisitely beautiful of all the wading birds upon the yarmouth list is to my mind the avocet it has seldom been my privilege to see it on braden mudflats the largest number i ever saw together was on the fourth of may eighteen eighty seven when four in a flock passed me by within a few yards so near in fact that with regret i have to state i brought one down to my gun such a beautiful creation certainly ought to have been saved from my brutal hand but at that time i had an itching for both gun and specimens the day before six had been seen but two were killed and eventually nearly every one was accounted for another gunner 
later on the fourth fired at the party his gun being loaded with swan shot he pricked one and saw it falter in its flight following the direction taken by the birds he at length came up with the wounded one swimming again he shot at it when it determinedly dived watching it in the deep water of the channel below him he saw the bird rising to the surface to breathe when plunging in his hand he seized it ere it had reached the surface the avocet usually comes singly and it is only once in two or three years that it is noticed it then affects the society of the smaller gulls blackheads in particular from which it is not easily distinguished for the reason perhaps that it is so rarely with us that its presence is not suspected and few give more than a passing glance at a flock of gulls dozing on a flat or floating in a drain the avocet bred constantly and in some numbers at horsey early in the nineteenth century lubbock in his book observations on the fauna of norfolk speaks of an old and respectable fenman assuring him that forty years ago lubbock wrote in eighteen forty five it bred regularly near the seven mile house on the river bure the ways of waders just as every wader has its distinctive note so has it its own peculiar methods of flight run and feeding the pert ringed plover when feeding never forgets to have one or more chums watching it seldom covers more than two feet of mud usually running three or four steps and then stopping unless a pedestrian is hard upon its track when it endeavours to outdistance him before attempting again to pick up its crustacean prey the dunlin is less deliberate and erratically runs a greater or lesser distance before looking for a likely wormhole the curlew sandpiper is more energetic than either of them for it probes the mud at almost every step thrusting its beak in pretty well up to the hilt each time sometimes withdrawing it with its face quite muddy the turnstone appears always in a hurry as if eager to get over a certain area in a given time in this locality the sanderling like the oyster catcher and the purple sandpiper much prefers the beach to braden mud-flats but only in the very bitterest weather in winter do we expect to see the sanderling on the sands in the spring migration a few usually visit braden as well as the shore the knot is exceedingly sociable and in most instances except when in fair-sized flocks attaches itself to a parcel of small waders the common sandpiper prefers the river margins to braden and when found on that estuary invariably keeps to the immediate neighbourhood of the flint walls 
seldom being seen feeding out in the open young redshanks very industriously pursue opossum shrimps at the river margin when on braden mudflats they pipe considerably when feeding often hunting for their prey with the water level with their bellies the greenshank like ruffs of the year appears partial to the small puddles of still water to be found in rons the godwit is not noisy when feeding the greenshank the wimbrel and dunlin are quite the reverse the spoonbill never utters a sound beyond the faint clap of its mandibles when suddenly brought together mr j h gurney however assures me the spoonbill is not voiceless for on one occasion he heard a couple probably under the influence of the season and a fine day utter a feeble trumpet-like note while dancing in the odd way peculiar to birds of the stork family spoonbills work the soft mud in a very deliberate and methodical manner spooning it from side to side usually a flock work together where one leads the others follow like so many sheep when flying they proceed in single file with necks and legs extended looking singularly white against the blue sky or grey horizon when shifting ground they will sometimes swim across an intervening creek they travel a long way when feeding and one might almost imagine they are ever considering a distant puddle to be more desirable than the one they are at the moment working some odd shots this is not to me a pleasing subject the wanton killing of birds that the heading suggests too many birds are shot and aimed at simply to gratify a love of slaughter and the pride of marksmanship however as i have used the gun and i fear been guilty of similar practices in my earlier days there have been kills that struck me as being of more than ordinary interest from a sportsman's point of view one of my earliest shots was at a swift which received but one pellet at a considerable height above my head the poor thing was killed instantly but came down with its wings comparatively stiff and extended reaching the earth in a rotary manner very much after the fashion of a sycamore pen or seed that children throw up for the purpose but it took an extraordinary time to come down another i saw shot flew away at least five hundred yards from the gunner and describing a complete circle boomerang-like actually wheeled round and fell dead at our feet one july morning when out shooting by the bure i decoyed a red shank within shooting distance following the bird with my gun before pulling the trigger it came into direct line with a brilliant sun which entirely closed my eyes 
i had however so accurately judged the rate of flight and its direction that before i could properly see again i fired and to my surprise heard a plump upon the rond immediately followed by another and was still more astonished to see a second bird lying dead it had unknown to me crossed the other in its flight at the identical moment of firing an old friend used to be very partial to moonlight strolls along braden walls in the days when there were neither gun licences nor close seasons one evening he saw the shadow of a green shank and fired at where he thought the bird might be to his surprise he heard a double fall flop flop as he expressed it on the mud and found that his shot had completely halved the bird the zest with which many sportsmen recount the adventures and circumstances attending the slaughter of rare birds and the remarkable results of their shots certainly to me savours somewhat of the callous and does not speak much for the value they place upon the lives of the lower animals which i am bound to admit after having been somewhat of a sportsman myself have quite as much right to live and be happy as i have i must confess to having feelings of repugnance when i hear men talk of the ways ay even laugh at the antics and efforts of stricken and maimed birds to regain their feet and freedom to hear of lanes being cut through curlews the moment before merrily piping and feeding on the mud-flat is not to me edifying nor are the records of big shots ever anything but distasteful an old gunner with seeming pride told me that his biggest shot secured him two hundred and eighty-five dunlins and five widgeon he did not count the cripples that fluttered away these birds were crowded together on a huge slab of floating ice and it cost him some labour to force his gun punt through the pack in order to make this shot some years ago an old gunner lying with his boat in a wake in the ice while waiting for wildfowl settled himself to eat his dinner a brilliantly plumaged kingfisher the best he had ever set eyes upon and which is now said to be in norwich museum alighted on the extreme end of his punt gun he longed to secure the bird but having no hand-gun he was puzzled to know how to effect a capture it suddenly occurred to him that the vibration as he termed it of a discharge might kill the bird so he stealthily inch by inch reached towards the trigger which he managed at length to pull the gun went off with a roar and dead as a stone dropped the poor little kingfisher into the water beneath end of section nine